morning, everybody. I add, oh, so warm. I love it. Um, I add my welcome to Angela's. It's so good to be here with you today. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Michelle Manley. I am pastor of spiritual formation here at the River. And as I begin um, this morning, I have a question for you all. I'm wondering if you can remember the last time that you were in a conversation where it felt like the communication got really confused. Has anybody ever had that experience? I, I hear some, uh, I see nods and I hear some knowing laughter. Well, my husband Mark and I had this experience together recently, one among many that we've had in our 20 years of marriage. It was just another weeknight dinner table conversation. So the content uh, is so mundane, it doesn't actually bear repeating. But I wonder if you can feel with me some of the experience of the progression of this conversation. So we were just going back and forth. I offered something, Mark made a comment, I added to it, you know, four or five times like this. But as we went along, I think both of us had the experience more in our gut than in our conscious awareness, like something is not quite right. I'm sending things across and Mark is not feeding back what I'm expecting. So increasingly, our back and forth is accompanied with confused faces and raised volume. I don't know what it is about the human experience that thinks if we get louder, certainly we're sure to be better understood, right? So we're getting more confused, more loud, but in a gracious turn of events, we realize the problem. We were in two separate conversations. I was talking about one topic and Mark was talking about a completely other topic. No wonder we weren't making sense. In this instance, we were able to graciously exit with a good laugh instead of escalating into full-out conflict. But confused communication is not always that gracefully exited. That's why much has been written about the challenge of what seems like it should be so simple, sending something from one sender to one receiver. But it is never that simple. There are a variety of things in play whenever we communicate. There are our personal and our cultural frames of reference that impact how we understand words. Many of us experience challenge, especially in the um, more uh, tender areas of life, on just how to articulate ourselves. And then you throw into that poor standards, I'd say, and even poor habits regarding listening, and it is really a wonder, something of a miracle, that any communication gets across from sender to receiver as intended. So as we turn the corner in this series that we have been in since Easter on practices of the family of God, one of the things that has been on my mind is this matter of us continuing to grow as people who know how to express the things of our souls to one another and how we grow as people to be people who can hear those things well and accurately. Communication seminars are uh, often the stuff of our workplace environment. I'm wondering how many of you have ever been in a workplace communication seminar. Um, I think these are the, the fundamental tools of human interaction. But communication is not only a fundamental functional tool. Communication is what gives us the opportunity to connect deeply with one another. 
And deep connection is what fuels our experience, the spiritual reality that together we are the family of God. And we see God's care about something so fundamental as communication in the very early days of the church. Today, uh, some of you may be aware, is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday is the day that the church all over the world remembers and celebrates the gift of the Holy Spirit freely given, generously given to all who follow the way of Jesus. That is the center point of uh, the story of Pentecost. But I also think it's important to notice what it is that the Holy Spirit does as the Holy Spirit arrives on Pentecost in full measure. How it is that the Holy Spirit moves in God's people at the very moment of the Spirit's outpouring. So that's where I want to focus our attention together this morning. The Holy Spirit was Jesus' um, recurring promise, Jesus' ongoing assurance to those who follow Jesus as he was getting ready and anticipating his death. Repeatedly, we see in the scriptures Jesus speaking to those who followed him and saying, I am going to be leaving. I want you to be aware, but you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid because when I go, the Spirit will come and the Spirit will be my very presence among you always. And so it was that 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit was given to the disciples gathered in Jerusalem for the Jewish festival of Pentecost. Now, I, we are not told what the disciples thought the arrival of the Spirit would be like. We, we know that they were told by the resurrected Jesus shortly before his ascension to the Father to just stay put, wait in Jerusalem, the Spirit is coming. But we don't know what they thought they were waiting for. What I can say is I'm pretty sure they couldn't have imagined what it was actually like when it happened, because it was a little bit wild. So I want to read for you how it's recorded in the New Testament book of Acts, um, this arrival of the Holy Spirit. And as I read, I want to invite you to use the gift of your imagination um, to make this experience as vivid as you can in your mind's eye. This is how it's written. When the day of Pentecost came, they, and this they is likely the 11 remaining original disciples of Jesus, along with probably some of the other core members of the community of, of Jesus. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that uh, separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. People would have come from all over to be in Jerusalem for this Jewish festival of the Pentecost. Listen to how many groups of people are named. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? 
then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthenians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, all kinds of different people. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? It's, it's a pretty crazy occurrence. Nothing like I have ever experienced myself. But when we take a step back with the gift of retrospection, uh, retrospective view, we see that in the midst of an incredibly exceptional experience, there are clear points of reference for the disciples in what they're experiencing. The fact that it says they heard the sound as of a violent wind. Well, wind was one of the most often associated um, characteristics of the Spirit in the Old Testament. And the fact that what they see is tongues as a fire, fire was often the sign of God's presence and God's glory in the scriptures. So in the midst of God demonstrating um, powerfully God's presence, God also demonstrates it in an unmistakable way for the disciples. This was the promised Holy Spirit. And then there's this miracle of language. We're told the disciples begin to speak the wonders of God, and people in numerous languages all at once hear them in their own language. I mean, how did that work? Was it that each of the disciples were kind of appointed with a language to speak? I don't know, have you ever been at like a famous museum where they're giving tours and there's the English tour, the French tour, the Mandarin tour? Was it like Peter was for the Aramaic speakers and John was for the Greeks and Matthew had one of the local dialects and so on? Or was the miracle actually at the point of hearing? Did the disciples speak out in their native tongue, and was it translated into each ear, into their heart language? I find it kind of fascinating to wonder about. We're not told. We'll keep wondering. We don't know exactly where the miracle happened. What we know is that it did. What we know is that when God sent the Holy Spirit, God did so in a way as to miraculously allow people to communicate so that they could connect across substantial barriers of culture and language, the result of which was coming together as a diverse community, the family of God. So I mentioned that churches all across the world today will be recognizing this Sunday as Pentecost Sunday. And I would imagine that most of them um, are probably hearing one of, of two really important and valuable messages today. 
One of those would be just about the person of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is unique about the Holy Spirit as one of the three persons of the Holy Trinity? That is a a common um, sermon for Pentecost. And maybe if you've been in the church for a while, you've heard that sermon on this Sunday. Alternately, you might hear a really stirring message about the fact that at the very inception of what would become the church, there was this move of God to bring together people of all nations and culture. That, too, is a meaningful sermon often preached on Pentecost. I'm veering from both of those today because as I read the story of Pentecost this year, I felt captured by this miracle of communication. And the frame of reference of our um, series currently on the family of God is part of that. But it seemed very striking to me that in the midst of wind and fire and crowds, a significant piece of the Spirit's arrival is the power for people to share the wonders of God with one another and the power for people to hear all the way into their hearts the wonders of God that are being shared with them. The wonders of God are what we're told the disciples were speaking on the day of Pentecost. People said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God. What do we think that entailed? I mean, were the disciples just calling out characteristics of God? God is faithful. God is merciful. God is just. I think it's possible, as I imagine it in my mind's eye, that might have been what the wonders of God sounded like on that Pentecost day. But I think we can expand the category a little bit. My own experience is that we're in the territory of the wonders of God when we speak to one another um, from the soul uh, arena. I know soul is kind of a broadly used word, not often clearly defined, and we don't have time to delve into a full definition of it um, this morning. But I would say when I'm talking about talking to one another on the soul level, I'm talking about talking from that place deeper within us where all of who we are is working to be integrated into a whole, the fullness of ourselves, and that place deep within us where the Holy Spirit has come to dwell. That is the area of the soul that we can enter into in conversation with one another and, broadly speaking, speak the wonders of God together. I want to show you a graphic that might be familiar to those of you who've been around the river for some time. I think we created this about 10 years ago when we were in another season of considering um, the life of, of the community of God. And we bring it out from time to time because it's a helpful visual um, depiction of the broad range of communication that's available to us as people. But as importantly, probably more importantly, it depicts to us our aspiration, where it is that we as the people of God hope to go in communication with one another, and that is this area of soul talk. So just to unpack it a little bit, starting with small talk, I think all of us are familiar with small talk, right? It is the, the stuff of entry-level conversation in just about any uh, relational setting that we're in. Almost all conversation begins here. And it's the stuff of facts that are not particularly related to us 
or to God. They're the things of sports and weather and current events, factual things that are outside of us. We move a little further and a little more personal when we go into the area that we've named here. I don't know if it's the best name, but we've named it Shop Talk. Shop Talk, by our definition, is when we start to share the facts that are personally relevant to us. So they're, they are personal. You're offering something of yourself. Um, but there's not much nuance about how those facts affect you. It's just what are the facts about your work, your hobbies, your family? So while personal, this still stays somewhat on the surface of uh, our lives. And I would say that most of human interaction probably happens here in Shop Talk, and often it stalls here. Because you see, the curve continues. There are other regions to go. Self-talk, I'm not talking here about talking to ourselves, which all of us usually do at some level or another. Self-talk is about talking about our real selves and about our emotional lives. Self-talk is where we move into the area of the nuance of how the facts of our life actually affect us, how you feel about your job in this season, what it's like for you to be single or to be parenting teenagers. Self-talk begins to unfold a, a wider and more meaningful story about ourselves. But it also is not the destination. There's one more place, and that is the arena of soul talk, which is, I would say, the aspiration of relationships in the family of God. Soul talk is where we take the facts about our lives in combination with how those facts are affecting us, and we go a step further to say, given all of this, how is my experience with God affected? Am I finding myself filled with faith as I experience what I'm experiencing? Or am I hitting places of cynicism or unbelief? Does God feel close in my experience of these things? Or does God feel somehow more hidden? This is the territory of soul talk, which starts to move us into speaking the wonders of God with one another. And I think Pentecost tells us that the Holy Spirit is here to empower us to do soul talk with one another. And that's important because, frankly, small talk, shop talk, even self-talk are easier for most of us. They require less of us. And for most of us, they're at minimum, they're more practiced. They're more often used. So it's easy to rely on them in our relationships, which is not always a bad thing. But I think when we walk away from an encounter with another person, with that maybe conscious but often nagging sense of disappointment, I think what may be happening is that we failed to go to the place that our soul desired. We failed to go to the place of, of soul talk. Soul talk is a unique kind of communication that builds our connection with one another so that we can fully experience, or at least begin to fully experience what God is offering us as part of the family of God. So this is all a bit conceptual. I um, would love to offer 
you an example from my own life of what it might look like to travel through some of these, this conversational territory. Um, it will be more of a monologue in this uh, setting, but I offer it nonetheless. When I think about our category here of shop talk and just sort of the personal facts of my story, the dominant one for me right now is that my oldest son will graduate high school this week. Yeah. So I've just told you something about myself and you've, you've, you've felt something about that. We've shared something, but you don't know anything about how I feel about that experience, right? You just know the facts. Because I trust you, I'll tell you a little bit of my self-talk, the truer parts of how, uh, it's not truer, but the deeper parts of how um, this fact of my life, it, I'm experiencing it. And the truth is, I'm experiencing it in a very ping-pongy kind of way. Many moments, I feel extremely excited. I, um, I have so much hope for what my son is about to experience as he launches on into life beyond high school. But almost in the same moment, I feel something very different. I feel a sense of, of shock um, and some sadness. It's kind of unfathomable to me that we are actually here. And the idea that this could be, I know it's not always, but this could be the last days of our living full time together in our house is um, unsettling for me. So you've experienced a bit more texture of, of what it is to be me. I've shared with you something of myself, but even that isn't the whole. Um, if we walk a little bit further into the territory of soul talk, I can tell you that this season of change in our lives and the unknowns about what is to come for all of us have challenged me in the area of my trust in God. You know, we can talk about trust, trust God, want to trust God, what does it look like to trust God, but until we're in the specifics, um, it can be a little hard to know what we're talking about. These days, I wonder, is my trust in God big enough, strong enough to believe that Drew will be well cared for, that Drew will be led, that Drew will be loved, that Drew will find um, satisfaction as he launches from our house? And likewise, is my trust in God sufficient for the changes that this is producing for me? Because my roles are shifting. I am now becoming the parent of young adults, and some space is opening in my identity, perhaps for other things to enter in. So I'm wondering, where is God in that, and what does it look like for me to trust God very practically in these days? So now we're in the arena of soul talk. And you can feel that it is um, a bit tender. Soul talk isn't always tender, but it often is. Because we're entering into the deepest places um, within us. And that is why soul talk, uh, as a necessary companion, I would say, requires spirit-empowered listening. Spirit-empowered listening is the environment that welcomes us to soul talk. There's a lot that could be said about spirit-empowered listening, but I'm thinking of two things primarily when I put forth that category of spirit-empowered listening. And the first is that spirit-empowered listening is first, foremost, and mostly 
about our giving one another the gift of supportive presence. You know, the arrival of the Holy Spirit, as I said a minute ago, brought and continues to bring many gifts to us. The Holy Spirit is a teacher. The Holy Spirit is a comforter. The Holy Spirit is a counselor. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. But before and maybe above all of that, the Spirit is the promise of God to always be with us. The Spirit is the promise of God to always be with us. And we, when we are with one another in a supportive, as a supportive presence, we mirror to one another that gift of the Spirit's presence ongoing. So how do we listen with presence? This will be familiar to you. We get rid of distraction as best we can. Our presence comes forward as we let distraction fall away. And this is distraction of all kinds. We're probably most aware at this point that we need to get rid of tangible distractions, which almost always involve screens in this, in this time in which we live. But it's not only screens. It's also any other activity that we may be tempted to carry on in sort of a multitasking way when we enter the territory of soul talk. We rid ourselves of the things that would be distractions to us. But we also uh, want to rid even our, our very bodies of distraction and how we, we do that by um, relaxing into the space where we are. We let our bodies um, on the inside come present to the conversation that we're having. Our shoulders relax, our faces relax, and that helps us depict to the person in front of us that we are here as a warm and a non-anxious presence, ready to listen. The other category that I want to uh, mention about freeing ourselves from distraction might be uh, slightly more odd to hear, but I think we need to free ourselves in the arena of soul talk from the distraction of words. I don't know if you ever think about your words in conversation as a possible distraction. I think that's challenging for us because there's probably lots of reasons for this, but somewhere along the way, I think we came to believe that the gift we bring to any conversation is what we add into it, right? That we, we feel like we've done our good uh, work when we've added something to the conversation, a very connective, empathetic story from our own lives, right? Or a series of curious questions, oh, well, how did that happen? And oh, I wondered about this and that. Or, of course, I mean, who wouldn't want our wise advice? But in the end, I, I do want to say that those things can get a bad rap. There are gifts to sharing our own stories, to offering words of, of wisdom as, as they come to us. But in the arena of soul talk, what we leave out of the conversation is probably the greater gift than what we bring into it. And what we leave out of the conversation is distraction of all kinds. Spirit-empowered listening is presence. And spirit-empowered listening is also inviting. And we can be inviting in, in a wide array of ways. Um, but in the context of soul talk, I want to come back to our words and say that I think the best use of our words in soul talk is to invite one another to continued and deepening reflection. And I want to give you just one tool for that this morning. 
and that is this, that when you are gifted with another person sharing something of their soul with you, maybe one of the most inviting gifts that you could offer would be this simple phrase, would you like to tell me more about that? If you'd like to say more, I'd love to, I'd love to listen. I think you can commit that one to memory. Would you like to hear more? Uh, would you like to tell me more about that? You know, I think few of us are really accustomed to being given the gift of uh, good listening. And as a result, we uh, can be a bit unsure or uncomfortable as to whether it's okay to take up that amount of space. I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation with someone where they're sharing along from their life and then they kind of um, sometimes somewhat abruptly stop and get really apologetic about having gone on and on and on. For me in those moments, most often, I feel jarred because I was just enjoying the privilege of hearing the story. But we are unsure about whether it's okay to take up that kind of space and being given the gift of invitation would you like to tell me more, is a way that we can continue to create space for deepening reflection and for the connection that can grow between us because of that deepening reflection. And it's that connection that we're ultimately after here this morning. As we go into a conversation about soul talk and spirit-empowered listening, I feel aware that um, it can begin to feel somewhat mechanistic like I'm giving you skills to master, and there are things to be learned here and things to practice. But ultimately, what we're talking about is a partnership with the Holy Spirit to connect us so that we could experience more fully the gift of being the family of God together. The Holy Spirit's arrival at Pentecost was inextricably linked with a miracle of communication. The wonders of God were spoken about so that all could hear them and be drawn in, and that communication facilitated connection, connection across real and substantial barriers of language and culture. But this connection caused the family of God to grow. You know, just after the passage that I read you about Pentecost and the Holy Spirit's arrival, there is a, a stirring word that the Apostle Paul is provoked to preach, excuse me, the Apostle Peter is provoked um, to speak, and then the scripture tells us that 3,000 people were added to the family of God that day. The connection through communication, uh, along with the other factors, caused the family of God literally to grow numerically, but also to grow in quality. After laying out the numbers, we were given this beautiful description of what life in the early community of Jesus followers was like. It's a description that remains a vision for most Jesus-centered communities today. A picture of learning together, worshiping together, eating together, sharing radically with one another, um, living in joy together. The kind of communication that the Spirit enables facilitates a connection that forms the foundation of the family of God. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to communicate with one another. We do this often 
as a response to our time of hearing a message at the river. So if you've been here, you're familiar with our practice of turn and talk. The primary intention here is to just keep the wheels turning about how it is that God is speaking to you as you hear what is presented. I'm aware that this is a rather unusual practice for a church worship service. Maybe it's becoming more common, but it certainly was never my experience before we did it here at the river. And it produces a variety of uh, feelings among us. For some, especially our more extroverted folks, you're ready to start chatting. You're, you're tired of hearing me and want to start talking about what, what it's doing in you. But for others of us, there is that um, anxious moment about whether you can gather your thoughts and who it would be okay to share and how much to share with them. Recently, I've had the opportunity of just uh, unexpectedly hearing stories from people who began in one place and, and now find themselves in another. People who, who said it really basically freaked them out when they came to the river that we did this, this turn and talk practice at the end of our messages. But being good uh, rule followers, they tried to give it a try and what they found was that there was this possibility, not always, but this possibility of connection that actually has served to knit them into an experience of the family of God. So I want to say, as I uh, often say, there is freedom when we do something like turn and talk to pass. Change in our lives doesn't happen through coercion. But I do want to invite you, in the light of what we've been talking about today, to consider taking the risk to communicate something of what has touched you today in the hope of forming a connection that will deepen your experience and all of our experience of the family of God in this place. And I know five minutes doesn't allow for much, five, ten minutes, but it starts a practice that we can carry on as we get more time with donuts and coffee or as we get back to our small group that we participate in. And we want that the conversation we have together would become more and more often a soul talk kind of conversation received well uh, with spirit-empowered listening. So let me pray for us as we get ready to talk together. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. We thank you for the way that you have allowed yourself to be so freely and graciously poured out among your people. And we just want to say from our side that, that we welcome you and that we desire what you're giving, including empowering our communication with each other, that we would be connected peoples and and begin to touch what you're offering in the family of God. So would you move among us today, right now, or would you also continue to draw us into patterns that move us into deeper connection with one another? That's what we're asking for, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So there'll be a couple of prompts for your conversation on the screen. Just pick one that uh, most resonates with you. We'll take about five minutes, and then the band will come and lead us on in worship. <laughs>